Hello, everybody. You are tuned into the Walk Off Podcast here. As usual, I'm Justin, your host. I'm joined with Davis and Leroy. Uh, how are you guys doing? Yeah, doing good. Baseball is back, and uh, we've, I've been enjoying it. And I know you guys have. It's uh, you know, baseball is one of those uh, sports where uh, events that, that you can just your team plays just basically every night. And on the rare occasion that they're not playing, there's always something that you can find a good game or, you know, pitchers battle or whatever you can find. So it's just an awesome time of year right now. Yeah. That first week in baseball is great where, you know, every team feels like they might have a chance and um, it's, it's great team. See the teams get back out there. Yeah. I think it's awesome. We sat here every episode talking about how close we were to opening day in baseball season. Well, we are finally here and things feel a little normal again. There's fans in the stands. There's baseball being played. It's a marathon, no more sprint. So uh, I don't know about you boys, but I feel like everything's starting to feel normal again, especially with baseball here, and I like it. And we're going to kick off here talking about something that's a little too normal. We're going to talk about uh, an injury here. We want to talk about James Paxton and these poor Mariner fans. We've talked about them before. You know, they went out, they got this great farm system. They went out, they brought James Paxton back. And unfortunately, after one single game, this man has been recommended for a Tommy John surgery. Now, this is someone who I thought coming into this year, he was going to help solidify that rotation on a young team where they're going to have a lot of good, really good outfielders, but a decent team around them all together. And then something like this happens. Um, if you look around the league so far, there actually has been a good amount of injuries on, you know, high name players for a lot of teams. This is just another one in the most recent. But um, I'll go to you, Davis, first. I want to know what you think about the surgery for James Paxton, what this is going to mean in his career and what it means really for the Mariners at this moment in time. Yeah. I mean, you kind of brushed upon it. How you said, you know, it is unfortunately common procedure in this sport and you absolutely wish it on no one, but for James Paxton, it, it's just really is brutal uh, at the point he's at in his career. And this is a guy who has struggled with injuries, but when he's healthy, he's pretty elite. You know, you look at the, his 2019 season is his best recent year. I uh, went 15 and six and, pretty solid ERA. So, you know, it illustrates that when he's healthy, he can be a elite pitcher and that's why the Mariners brought him back. And that being said, you know, he only appeared in five, I think five or so starts last year, made it, which is about a quarter of the season, the shortened season. So I think it was back injury, shut him down again. So for a guy who's getting a little bit uh, later in his career, it's something you really don't want to see because it's going to put him back um, at least a year. And at his age, it might be into the next season as well. So and it's brutal for Mariners fans too, who, as we discussed, are on the brink of, you know, becoming a contender. We talked about that. We're talking about the ALS. I don't know if they were going to make the playoffs this year, but we talked about what the prospects they have. They're going to make a push at some point. They're going to be a really good team. Like there's a lot of talent there. And I don't think as a whole losing him, losing Paxton this year is going to mess that up or anything, but it certainly would have been a nice piece that could have, you know, they could have started building this season, maybe making a run like we talked about in the, the AL West uh, episode. So his future with the team's in limbo because he's on a one-year deal. But if Seattle, a team, the team that drafted him, re-signed him, I think maybe they'll stick with him, maybe give him a restructured deal and try to get him through the injury. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the Mariners have a solid staff, even without Paxton. So I think, you know, it's, it definitely hurts him, but I think it'll give a chance for younger guys to uh, get some reps. And like I said, might not be um, a playoff team this year off to a three and four start, but uh, it's a major roadblock to, to success they could have had this year. But I think the long term uh, for Paxton and for this team could still be uh, looking bright. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, um, but, but not necessarily unexpected, right? Uh, James, you know, James Paxton, as, as Davis said, when healthy is, is fantastic. I mean, his career 3.59 ERA. Um, but he's never appeared in more than 30 games. 29 has been his max. Um, he's maxed out at 160 innings, and that was a few years ago. Uh, by the end of this year, he will have gone two years and, and only pitched 21 innings. Um, and even if you looked at his uh, at some of the projections for this year, Zips and Steamer and those places, they had him projected to pitch in 15, 16, 17 games. So um, I think, you know, we, baseball fans, Mariners fans, knew that you know they weren't going to get a full you know full season of, of starts out of Paxson but I I'm assuming they hoped he was going to make it to the all-star break at least right uh, but that didn't happen and you know it's really a shame for 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 Paxton for a couple of reasons one he, he really looked good this spring and um 
and you know he looked like uh for whatever time he was going to spend on the mound for the mariners he could have really been a difference maker um and for two uh, like davis said he's on a one-year deal so what happens i mean he's going to come into he's not going to be ready by opening day next year um so you know do you know does he resign with the mariners and they just kind of hope um you know they can get something out of him next year or does he just float around until he's healthy um it's you know i, I imagine for him and his family it's kind of a scary uh, position to be in um with this uncertainty about his future and for the mariners um you know uh, like davis said they're a team on the rise but um they really couldn't afford this um they they've already given up uh, the second most runs in in the american league um and you know James Paxton could have been a big help to that. So um, just, just a shame all the way around. You know, you hate to see injuries for anyone on any team. Um, so, you know, hopefully he comes back healthy next year and, and catches on somewhere. I, I'd love to see him back with the Mariners. I, I thought it was a good story. Um, so um, here's wishing well to, to Mr. Paxton. Yeah, that's certainly an unfortunate injury to hear about. We were all excited he came back to Seattle, you know, they like to say the Eagle has, has landed back in Seattle. It was really cool to see that. And then something like this, when a one-year deal is really unfortunate, and that's one of my big pet peeves with these one-year deals. I mean, you can go sign this, you go out, and you get injured for three, four months, and that's half of your contract, if not all of it. And then, heaven forbid, good luck getting a good deal after that, you know, which is real unfortunate. We're seeing a lot of injuries also just throughout the league so far this year. I want to touch on a couple um, I think the first one that's just sitting on the front of everyone's mind is Fernando Tatis and his shoulder that is just not connected to his body after that swing. I don't know if you guys saw um, that happen live when he took that swing. I mean, you can see his shoulder pop out when he took that swing, and it was just nasty looking. Um, not a not a good thing for Tatis. Not a good thing for the Padres. Also, they are still a very well deaf team. Um, I think they will be all right. It seems he got a little bit of the madden curse as we'll call it here the show curse you know you also have cody bellinger over with the dodgers with that collision at the plate the other night i think that was last monday um or earlier last week he's on the il you also have trevor rosenthal who was a big signing by the athletics and he i don't even think it's been seen in the game yet so there's been a lot of big time injuries for um not just your small players. There's big-time players. People have gone out and get, like we said here, Trevor Rosenthal. Cody Bellinger, obviously, that's, you know, a huge injury for the Dodgers. Fernando Tatis, that might be the biggest injury story um, so far, which leads me to something I wanted to say real quick. This is why you don't, when Tatis is looking about getting a new contract before this season, I mean, this is why you don't go out and you give 100-some mil to a guy that's played in less than 162 games. This kid could come out with this torn shoulder and be a completely different person. Now, granted, I hope in all hell that he is not and he will recover fine as a young kid he should. But um, I know, Leroy, you have a big thing about, you know, this big money here. I want to know what you think about looking at, you know, paying big contracts for someone like Tatis and then something like this happens. Yeah, it's it's such a it's a gamble, right? Anytime you give up a you give a big contract, it's a gamble. Um, on one hand, it shows your your fan base that you're serious and you want to keep your stars. Uh, but on the other hand, all it takes is is something like this, and you know, heaven forbid, uh, Tatis is not the same as he used to be. Um, and you know, again, we t we talk about markets a lot here. Um, the Yankees or the Dodgers throwing away this amount of money on a player that may never materialize or, you know, gets bitten by the Indian injury bug. That's one thing, but, uh, the Padres, although the Padres are flush with money right now, um, aren't quite in, in that same uh, boat. And that's why you see teams like, you know, the smaller market teams raising Royals and, and, uh, whatnot, just, you know, so reluctant to give this big money to a player, uh, even if it's one of their star players, because of something like this. And if something like this happens, it's devastating to set a small market team back, you know, five to 10 years, whereas, you know, one of the larger market teams, Yankees, Red Sox, they just kind of sweep it aside and say, okay, move next, you know, and, and then and move some money into someone else. So, um, you know, it just, it's more uh, for baseball. It's, you know, again, the haves and the have nots and, and, you know, kind of, kind of uh, uh, epitomizes that unlevel playing field that, that we're kind of dealing with with baseball. Yeah, I don't know, Davis, I don't know what you think about this uh, Tatis injury here. I know yeah. this is big on everyone's mind. 
Yeah, injuries are tough, and it's something you obviously can never predict. There are players who are more likely to get injured, like you were, you know, transitioning from the Paxton injury, right? But with Tatis, it's a guy that if you don't give him that contract, we talked about this when he signed that massive deal. If you don't give him that contract, you know, someone else is going to try to get him for more money than you're going to spend. You have to lock him down, and especially when he's, you know, a guy that's looking to be the face of baseball pretty much. So for me, you know, I don't blame him for giving him that money and the, the injury coming right after that you know, the season right after they sign him is, is just unfortunate timing. And we've seen it in sports all the time and not just baseball. And it's just one of the things that goes and, you know, I think hopefully he can recover from the injury and be fine, but it is a scary sight, especially for the Padres who, like you said, Justin, I mean, they're going to be fine. They're going to, you know, they still have a lot of pieces there. They're still a contender, but Tatis is the you know center of that. And uh, just hope he gets back quickly. And uh, he is worth all the, all that money. I think, I mean, we, we discussed this back uh, episodes back, but yeah, uh, it's just an unfortunate timing and hopefully he can uh, come back strong. You know, the thing about baseball that, that I think sets it apart a little bit from other sports is um, baseball is so uh, dependent. Players are dependent upon their mechanics and an injury, especially an upper body body injury, um, has a way of changing mechanics and can really affect a baseball player more so than than in other sports where it's more of the athleticism, um, you know, in your football, your basketball, um, you, you know, even even hockey, whereas baseball so much about mechanics and any little change uh, due to injury in mechanics can completely change a player. Yeah, and that, that's a good point. And then seeing an injury like that with that shoulder, like that's, that's never, never a good luck, especially watching that live. That was just gruesome to watch, you know. And then, of course, around the league, there's still a lot more injuries, too. I, th- I feel like we've seen a lot this year. We've even seen um, Aaron Judge has had a couple days off. Now, that one's not a surprise. We, we had assumed that was going to happen at some point. Aaron Boone said he was battling some, I think it was side soreness. So we'll see uh, how that progresses. And that one's unfortunate for Aaron because at the start of the season, he was raking. I mean, it's very, very small sample size, but he was hitting – to stay consistent that way at an MVP level in those first two series, we saw him in, uh, in New York against the Orioles and he hit those couple long balls looking like Aaron judge. And then now he's, you know, really looking like Aaron judge and just across the league, we're hoping things are going to settle down a little bit, but again, we're just excited. The players are real excited to be back in front of the fans. You're watching games. You're hearing real booze. You're real. And you're hearing real cheers. You're seeing real trash cans thrown onto the field by angel fans. I don't know if you guys saw that, but I want to touch on that. I thought that was for someone that um had their feelings about the Astros. That's annoying, man. Don't throw like really. You're going. You're paying that money around all these other people paying money, being there for the first time, and then you, <laughs> it's inflatable trash can. It was funny, but I thought that was a little extra, Lee. I want to know what you think about that. You know, do do you? <laughs> You know, regardless of your feelings on the uh, on the scandal, uh, and there was a I listened to a full podcast on it, and there's there's a couple sides of that story that's very interesting, but I won't go into that. Regardless of your feelings, do we really need to give a little extra incentive to a talented team because um, they're taking it out on the A's and just you know they've pissed off they've pissed off the Astros and now they're beating the hell out of the A's because. Of it. <laughs> so well, look at look at the playoff series last year. We, we were giving them all that talk coming in with the losing record and they soared right to the ALCS again. Like it was just absolutely nothing. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's kind of funny to see. I mean, it's, you know, last year we missed fans. There were no fans at any games and, you know, it's almost as if, Oh, are people going to forget a year later? Is it going to be any easier for them? And like, clearly it's not. And every city they go to is going to be waiting for that. And, you know, I've been watching these games. It's, I think especially the teams in their division, like the A's are going to be, their fans are going to be extra, um, you know, salty about it. And, and, uh, cause it, they played them many times, uh, on that, in that season. And I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's pretty fun to watch, but I think I do like how the Astros are kind of just taking it in stride and they're playing really well. And, uh, it's actually like Leroy mentioned, kind of fueling them to play better and, you know, kind of a chip on their shoulder. So I can't, uh, I can't be mad at that. And I can't be mad at the fans for being upset. So it's, it's kind of just, it's kind of fun to watch in a, in a way that's, Maybe not, you know, for the best reason, but uh, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting to see. You asked, will the fans forget? Fans forget absolutely nothing. They're going to be remembering this 10 years from now. We will still be talking about this. I can promise you that. 
But uh, before we we get carried away here, we actually have a new segment here that our buddy Jared is bringing us. It's called Fact or Cap. For you, Leroy, cap here is a word that means lie. So we're saying fact or fiction and then fact or cap. So, uh, Jared, how about you take us away with that for us? Yeah, that's right. We had to kind of break it down for Leroy here as he is the uh, senior advisor on the show. Uh, Not too up there in age, but, you know, enough where cap needed to be explained. But nonetheless, let's get into it. It's a new segment on the walk-off here. Thanks for having me back, guys, by the way. Uh, Factor cap, I'm going to give each of the guys uh, three questions. They're going to answer all three questions, each one of them, uh, with fact or cap and explain why they think that is so. And I'm going to start out with Davis. And then after Davis, Leroy's going to answer that same question. After Leroy, Justin will. We'll, we'll do that for three questions, okay? Sounds uh, good. Let's do it. Davis, you're up first. All right. You better be ready. The Oakland Athletics, oh, Lord, begin the season one and seven on the year so far. So, Davis, fact or cap, is there reason to worry about the 2021 Oakland Athletics? Yeah, I figured this was going to come up at some point today. I'll say cap. I mean, you got to look at who they're playing. You know what I mean? If they, not winning a single game against the Astros isn't uh, isn't very promising. But, you know, they are 1-7, I think, right? Yeah, 1-7. One in, one in they did get a win. So, you know, it's not a great start. But they're a team that uh, – gets in rhythm late in the summer and just kind of grinds away. So I'm not going to buy into it too much seeing the teams they've played uh, series have been really tough. And I think it'll open up once they start playing a little bit easier teams and can kind of get rolling a little bit easier. So I'll go cap on that one. All right, Leroy factor cap on the Oakland A's here. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to say fact. We we need to worry about them a little bit. And here's why not necessarily because who they are uh, as a team, but, but what they've, uh, what they've dug themselves into right now, they've dug themselves into a five and a half game hole, you know, eight games in and they've already, you know, they've played what, how many of those games came against Houston six or seven. So, you know, they're running out of time to make that, uh, make that distance up head to head. Um, and we already know that we've got some really good teams in the American leagues and, and, and only two wildcard spots. So um, I, I'm going to say fact, just because of who those understood that that they're playing against a really good team and Houston's looking like they could be one of the top teams in the American league, but um, you can't dig yourself a hole against, you know, the potential division winner this early and especially do so in such terrible fashion. I mean, the first three games, Houston, four games, Houston put up nine, nine runs a game. And, you know, they've Oakland's only scored 19 to have been outscored by 40 runs. So I think, um, I think it's fact. I think there it's, you know, we can be a little concerned right now, based on uh, the the hole they've dug themselves. All right, Justin, what do you think? Factor cap on the Oakland A's. See, this one for me is tough because I really do think it could go either way. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this one's cap, though, because in a, a lot like Davis said here, the, the Athletics, they're a different team. They don't come out and produce the way you see other teams do anyway. It is a little concerning this hole they dug in, but look at who they played. They played the Houston Astros, like we said, just have fuel in their fire. Then they went out in the next series. I believe they are playing the Dodgers, correct? Um, it's a really hard way to start a baseball season. I think that can go to any team, no matter how good they are. That's a very tough opening schedule. Um, I would like to see some better production from that starting rotation thus far. The problem with the athletics is I do think they lost a lot of key pieces last year. And uh, you are going to start seeing that. You're seeing the missing of Liam Hendricks when you're getting in these close games. Um, I don't think Elvis Andrus is quite the shortstop that Marcus Simeon was, even if he had that bad year last year. We see him over in Toronto doing real well. Um, Again, like I said earlier, you have a big guy in Trevor Rosenthal. They personally went out to get, and he's on the IL with the potential being on there for much longer. So I think the A's are on a very very tip of the slope i do think this is cap here they can turn around they can get the production on their offense they have matt chapman back which they're missing the playoffs their bullpen is still really good but they need to be putting up the runs to help that starting rotation but i do believe that's going to come at some point you're going to see chapman heat up you're going to see olsen heat up you know you have piscotti and kane in the outfield if they heat up then they can be a very dangerous team along with ramon loriana so i will say this is cap but they do certainly need to be careful with uh you know, the whole they're digging in because don't forget about the angels over there in that division also yeah the angels off to a very hot start at five and two they're just behind the astros 
um, here in the early going. All right, that was the first question. We're going to start with Justin this time. Question number two, Justin, Akil Badu is 5-4-11 so far this season with two home runs, seven RBI, and a 455 batting average. With these numbers, plus his solid defensive showings in the outfield, is Akil Badu of the Detroit Tigers the clear favorite to win AL Rookie of the Year, fact or cap? I mean, I, I, that has to be fact, man. The way he is playing is just out of this world. But when you look at what he did in spring and then what he's done so far this year, it's not – it doesn't look like one of those fluke players. You, you see him up at the plate. He's taking great at-bats. He's taking a lot of pitches. He's having to be pitched to. And obviously, we've seen this over the years. When you're a good hitter and you have to be pitched to, you know, you're going to start putting the ball in play. He's playing real good defense. The thing that really, really benefits him is he's playing on a team where he has the potential to play 162, especially being a Rule 5 pick, having to be on the Major League roster, you know, all season. I do think he has very good chance. I do think that is fact. As we know, one of the bigger um, competitions there is Ryan Mountcastle. Now, when it comes down to that, if we're going to look at the fielding, you know, as we can, we can talk about that, all morning as we saw that yesterday. I do think Akil Badu is a little ahead in that department, but he just looks like a complete ball player. You know, I don't, I can't think of a kid who came up playing only single lane and just looks so well-rounded. That swing is beautiful. Like I said, he's has really good at bats. And I think that's a big thing, um, you know, about where he's going to be, you know, he's not up there getting lucky like a lot of rookies do sometimes. So this one, you know, I think is fact, I think the Detroit Tigers found a, a great guy and poor Cleveland Indian fans or someone else, you know, just another one that they lost and they didn't even know about this one. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Leroy factor cap, Akil Badu rookie of the year. I'm going to say cap. Did I use that right? Cap, yes. False yes. fiction. <laughs> um, and, and I, I don't disagree with anything. Justin said, uh, he looks like a grown man, right? And he is, he's 22 years old. He's not, he's not just a kid coming up, making his debut. Um, but, um, a couple of things I think to, to keep in mind, uh, this is, you know, his first dip into the major leagues. And before this, he'd never played above a ball. So his last stop was in, uh, was in Fort Myers in 2019. And we, we know what happens once major league and, and no film on him from last year. Right. Because, because he was at their, their development site. So we know what happens once major league scouts, coaches, and pitchers get your number. Um, but just look at what Mount is doing this year. Um, he's playing well, but, but major league pitchers know that, that they can get Mount Castle out, uh, with, with an, uh, off speed or a, um, you know, a changeup or, or a, a curveball. Um, don't throw him a fastball. Right. So eventually, um, and probably sooner rather than later, that book's going to come out on uh, Badu. And I, you know, I think he's going to keep hitting because like, like you said, Justin, he's just, he just looks like he's supposed to be there, uh, but certainly not at this rate. And uh, you know, once, once it, all it takes is one scout, one pitcher to find that weakness and exploit it. And then, um, you know, then it, then it gets a little tougher. And like, like we said, Mount Castle's uh, he's kind of figuring that out now too. All right, we have one fact, one cap. Davis, you're going to break the tie here. Is this fact or cap? Yeah, I'm going to tip it to cap, but kind of with an asterisk there. I just think, you know, what he's doing is impressive. I just think it's too limited of a sample size to really say that this early, uh, this point in the season. He's got, you know, 11 at-bats. You just really can't say it. I think there's more consistent rookies that are going to shine throughout the year. I think Mountcastle will be a more consistent hitter. you got to remember Rosarina is still eligible as a rookie. These are guys that, you know, played a lot of last season as well and have that experience for when they get in the slump, they can maybe get out of it within a couple series, you know, for, for um, a young guy like uh, Badu, it's going to be tough to get out of a, you know, a slump. If it, if it does happen, I'm not saying that it will anytime soon. He's been incredible, but this is a guy that didn't play minor league ball last year, obviously for obvious reasons with the COVID stuff going on. So that's some experience. I think that, you know, he missed that will hurt him. And what he's doing is incredible this year, though. I hope he keeps it up. I just think throughout the long run of the season, he might uh, be outperformed by some of the other more polished rookies. Yeah, that's definitely possible. Uh, you got Mountcastle, you got Jared Kelnick in, in Seattle as well. Uh, Leroy, you want to say something before we just, yeah. I mean, his, his minor league uh, batting average over the course of the, his couple of years in the minor leagues is, is 249 in rookie ball and a ball. Um, there's really nothing to suggest that he's going to hit 
uh, for this type of average over the course of a, of a whole season. So, um, you know, I think that's important, important to look at, uh, um, you know, he looks good, but, uh, it's really way too early. It is, it is early. And, uh, you know, it, it would be pretty interesting to see a rule five pick at that rookie of the year. Uh, but, but off to a great start. Good for him. Good for tigers fans. All right, guys, we're on the last question of factor cap, and I'm going to start off with Leroy this time. Here we go. The Phillies have begun the year five and one, thanks to good pitching and an exciting offense. So Leroy factor cap is Philadelphia, the obvious favorite to win the NL East after this explosive start. Yeah, they've looked great, right? I've, I've fully expected them. It was interesting because after the first three games of the year, I'm thinking, what, the Phillies are 3-0 and and the Orioles are 3-0? It's like 1983 all over again. What's going on here? Um, and, you know, to do it uh, by, you know, by beating up on the, you know, the Braves um, looks good. However, um, again, we're still so early, We, you know, they're, they've got to go through, you know, what, 14 more games against the Braves. They've still got to play the Mets in whatever, 16 or so games. Um, it, that that NL East division is just too competitive to be able to call uh, any team, but especially a team that's uh, probably around a 500, a little over 500 team like the Phillies, the, uh, the favorite. But, hey, they're playing well. Um, they just, man, they've got a gauntlet to go through in that, in that NL East. That's, that's just a tough, tough division, uh, from top to bottom. And, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough to, to, to keep this up over the course of 162 games. So I'm going to say cap. Did I say that cap already? <laughs> yeah, you did. All right. Justin factor cap for the Phillies here. Um, I think this is another tough one, especially the way you were this question here personally, Jared. Are the Phillies going to be a better team than last year and a surprise team? Absolute factor. They clear cut to win the division. I think the Braves would have something to say about that. You know, I think the Braves still have this division. The Phillies are good. They look really good. They're hitting well. Reese Hoskins and JT Realmuda are raking so far this season. Um, they have a slightly improved bullpen. But as we know in all sports, especially baseball playoffs and division success is really relative because you have three and four other teams in your division. Um, also, we've seen just an odd start to the season for the Braves and the Mets with the Nationals COVID protocol and that was making the Mets not be able to play that first series and the Braves have come out. They did not look very good at first, but we know that's going to change. Um, I don't think down the stretch in a marathon with that bullpen and that offense that's going to cool down at some point, they don't have that many, you know, high profile guys that are going to keep it up. Obviously Harper is going to rake JT Romuto is great. He's going to hit well. So is Reese Hoskins, but you're going to need to keep that production consistent from your other plays like John Chigora and Didi Gregorius. Now, does that, are they, are they good hitters? Yes. Are they consistent hitters? Not quite. And that's something that's going to come into play eventually, especially when you get in, like Leroy said, playing 14 more games against the Braves who are a team when they start to click and heat up because they've had a bunch of their pieces not hitting right. But once they start, we've seen how that that's a collective team batting average of almost 300 themselves. And that's talking about batting average. So I think the Phillies are in a tough spot in that division. I do think this is cap in terms of clear cut for the division, but I do think the Phillies are going to keep continue, uh, you know, surprising people in this division, but I don't think, Still, it's quite there with the Braves. This is going to be an interesting race between them and the Mets, but I think not quite yet to get past the Braves, in my opinion. All right, Davis, we have the chance to make this the first ever clean sweep on Factor Cap on the walk-off. Is this fact or cap? Do you believe that the Phillies are the clear favorites for that division? Well, it's not going to be a clean one because I'm going to say fact, but I'm going to say I'm going to revise your you know question and say right now based on what we've seen, right? And it's six games into the season, so you really can't take it, you know, too seriously. But for me, it's looking at who they played, um, being five and one against the Braves and Mets. You know, if they were playing the Marlins and you know Pirates, it'd be like, all right, well, the Phillies are five and one. Congrats. But playing two teams like that, they're going to be your main competition in the division. It's pretty impressive. It's a great start um, for a team that has been very inconsistent over the years. So to start off hot instead of really cold, you know, it could easily be one and five against the teams they played. Um, and I think the offense is clicking, you know, I said about with Harper, you know, 
if they didn't sign Real Muto, I think it would have just been a miserable season for him. And they look like they're really fresh and like poised and having guys like Reese Hoskins and Didi's been hitting really well. So I think they got some momentum. I think their starting pitching looks really good. And um, it'll be the bullpen, like Justin said. That's, you know, kind of been the case for them for the last few years. So uh, we'll see. They have a big 10-game stretch coming up against the uh, – they get the Braves again, the Mets, and then the Cardinals. So they could easily be – you know, go two and eight in that 10 game stretch. And then it's obviously cap, but through six games, you know, against the teams they played, it's, it's something to keep an eye on for sure. But this is a con- very competitive division and all the records look really bad right now, but there's four really good teams and the Marlins made the playoffs last year. So there's five respectable teams that, but uh, the Phillies, I think will have a fighting chance. I think the Braves still will uh, outlast them in the end. Yeah. The fighting Phils, fighting Phils, they're off to a hot start. Um, that was fact or cap, the first ever edition of fact or cap on the walk off podcast. Justin, I would normally hand it back to you right now, but up next on our schedule here is my seventh inning stretch. How about that? So let's just go right into that and I'll hand it back to you afterwards. We have to start the seventh inning stretch off every week with our weekly trivia question. Now, Davis got a little lucky because he's been gone for a little while. And Leroy nor Justin got a single trivia question right in the past few episodes. So the score is Leroy at three, holding the lead, and Justin and Davis tied with two. So let's get into it. The question this week, guys, is this. Who has the most opening day starts among active pitchers? Think about it. I'm locked in. Yeah, I feel like I have it, but it might be too obvious. Yeah. Are we all locked, Davis? I think I got so. an idea. Okay, uh, Justin, I'll let you go for We're going to go one at a time. Justin, go ahead I'm and go first. just going to say Kirsch. Okay, Leroy? Yep, that's who I had too. Davis? It's got to be Kershaw, yeah. <laughs> if it's not him, I want to think something like <laughs> No, I want to like throw something. I was like, yeah, Mad Bum would be the second too. I want to throw I'm something going with off Kirsch. to okay. a wild card. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's... We're locking it in. Everybody's locked in. Okay. Sorry, guys. All three of you are wrong no, again. What? <laughs> guys, this one I thought you had the possibility of getting because I even included a tiebreaker in here if everybody got it right. The correct answer is Justin Verlander. He has started mm. 12 opening day games See, in his tenure. I'm not even I don't think of him as active right now because he's yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> on the roster. <laughs> right. He hadn't announced the retirement yet, guys. Don't let him go quite yet, but yes. <laughs> Justin Verlander, 12 opening day starts in his yeah. career. That's awesome. So how um, many does Kershaw have? He can't be that far off. Can't be too far behind. I, it's got to be know. at like 9 or 10, I think. Yeah, he's not too far behind at all. But <clears throat> Verlander, correct answer. Sorry, guys, nobody got that right this week. Nobody moves up on the leaderboard. But let's get into it. Let's get into your seventh inning stretch. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the seventh inning stretch. All right, we talked about it earlier on the show. Right-handed reliever Trevor Rosenthal underwent thoracic outlet surgery Thursday. Martin Gallegos of MLB.com reports. Rosenthal started the season on the injured list with a shoulder problem that eventually led to the procedure. He'll be reevaluated in eight weeks. Big blow there for the Oakland A's, especially how they're struggling to start the year. The Milwaukee Brewers have agreed to a minor league contract with D. Strange Gordon. Milwaukee will be the second straight National League Central organization for Strange Gordon, who spent time with Cincinnati during the offseason and in spring training. The Reds ended up releasing him towards the end of March, and though Strange Gordon subsequently rejected minors' offers from other teams, he will now settle for one with the Milwaukee Brewers over a little over the week into the season. So there's time for him to be called up if necessary. All right, guys, and to wrap it up on the seventh inning stretch this week, a couple of trades happened during the week that we need to talk about. The Yankees acquired Rugened Odor from the Texas Rangers for a pair of minor league outfielders, and the Atlanta Braves acquired Orlando Arcia from the Brewers for two pitchers. Both moves give their respective teams depth in the infield, and Justin, that is something that is super crucial in today's game to have that depth piece there on the bench. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see. And by the way, Rugenetta Dor is going to have to cut that beard with the Yankees if he makes that major league roster. So Justin, throwing it back to you, man. Yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of cool moves around the league already, as we saw a couple trades yet. RC also being traded. Um, the Rugenetta Dor, that one. 
he, you know, he punched his ticket to New York, pun intended. So that I thought that was an odd one. But we're going to get into a, a little bit, you know, different talk here. We're going to talk about this All-Star game. This has been a big discussion over the past week about what's going on in Atlanta with these new voting laws and then baseball. Now, normally, they are not together, politics and baseball. Unfortunately, some people, you know, in the MLB like to link them together. And we have seen the 2021 MLB All-Star Game moved from Atlanta after a couple days of deliberation where it is going to go. It has now been said it's going to be at Coors Field in Colorado. Um, you know, just off the top, I just want to say those poor Atlanta fans, think of it this way, these people that have, you know, first season back with fans, they're like, oh, awesome, our stadium's hosting an All-Star Game and hasn't been in Atlanta in a while. This is a cool experience. Then to something that has absolutely nothing to do with the person is taken away from them. I think off the top, that's a very unfortunate situation for really the Atlanta Braves team and all of their fans and the city of Atlanta, you know, in general. Um, to see it to go to Colorado on a good note, I do think that is really cool. I think we're going to see an exciting home run derby. I think a good all-star break is something baseball really needs, you know, especially just the direction the game's going, not having one last year. You know, that's the time when everyone gets to see the biggest superstars in the MLB. You even get at least one from each team. You know, every single fan of every team has the representation, whether or not those players get put into the game. But this one is just an odd situation. Um, you know, we say we're not going to get political and we're not going to, but I just think it was a wrong move on the MLB and their part to do this to the Atlanta Braves in that city of Atlanta, um, personally. But good for Colorado. You know, they definitely need something going for them. And I think an all-star game, you know, that's that's a good way to do it. It'll be exciting there. Like I said, that home run derby, that slightly higher elevation really doesn't make that big of a difference, but it, you know, it will be fun. But Leroy, I want to go to you first. I want to know what you think about uh, this move of pulling the all-star game out of Atlanta. Yeah, so this is a, a topic that is just, just by its nature is very politically divisive. Um, so I'm going to try to skirt around the political aspect of it. Um, and try to focus a little bit on common sense. And um, so, so first thing, I don't know if we really know enough yet. Uh, my biggest question is, was this a move that was made unilaterally by Rob Manfred? And he just stood up and said, I'm king of baseball and I'm doing this. Or did he gather input from players, coaches, owners, fans before making this move. I'm, I'm really curious to know that. Um, and then I think the second thing that we need to look at is who are we punishing? Right? So, um, so, you know, I have, I have small children. And uh, sometimes we accidentally punish children. And in doing so, we punish the wrong people. Uh, for instance, um, you know, if you know, if you don't do this, uh, then you're going to go up to your room and you're going to stay there for the rest of the night. And, you know, you send, you send your child, your, your four-year-old up to their bedroom and they end up in the bedroom screaming for the rest of the night so that no one else can get sleep. So who are we punishing? We're punishing the people that can't get any sleep, right? So who are we punishing here by moving the all-star game? Um, so let's think about this. Uh, the reasoning behind this is the voter law uh, passed uh, in, a, in, a, in Georgia or in, in Georgia um, a that, that some people think suppresses uh, some of our voters. Um, and when they when when people make that statement, the indication is uh, that it suppresses the votes of people that have historically had their votes suppressed. Um, typically, African-American uh, people and other minorities. Um, so this was a law that was passed by politicians, not by the people, right? So are we trying to punish the politicians that passed the law or the people who are just innocent bystanders, the people of Atlanta who are innocent bystanders? Um, so, you know, I'm not really sure who we're, who we're trying to punish here because ultimately the people that are being punished are the people of Atlanta and the fans, 
Right, right. Well, not not even just the fans. Um, the fans are a huge part of it, but think about the small businesses that right. were, were about to benefit, that, uh, many of them of which are minority owned are now going to suffer. Um, the extra jobs that would have come into uh, the the Atlanta metropolitan area for that uh, four, four days, five days a week, whatever, um, many of those people would have been minority um, that that would have benefited. So so we're not just punishing mm-hmm. fans. Uh, we're just we're punishing the people of Atlanta. And meanwhile, this does nothing to the politicians of Atlanta, right? That the ones that actually passed this law does nothing to to hurt them. So so that's one thing. And then and then the other, you know, it's it's those unintended consequences that just makes this feel that it feel like it wasn't thought through very well. And then let's think about how tone deaf the move was. So what we're going to do, we're going to take an all-star game uh, that's being played in the, in the, the city with the second largest uh, majority of African-American uh, people in their metro area in the entire country, okay, to punish, right, to punish uh, uh, voter suppression against that very group. And we're going to move it to a city, Denver, that has a 9% African-American population. So we're taking jobs uh, and an economic boost from a largely uh, minority city, and we're moving those jobs and that economic boost to a white city. So let's think about that for a second. Of all the places, we're going to choose one of the whitest cities in Major League Baseball. It's just a head scratcher. Um, it it just it smacks of being not well thought through, um, and you know a couple of other things potentially ulterior motives. We don't know. Um, who knows? Um, who knows what you know Denver did to get this? We have no idea. Um, and then there's the, my, my, my last point, my third point is, you know, what kind of Pandora's box are we opening now? Um, are we going to now uh, cut off a uh, baseball relationship with China? Because we're going to talk about voter suppression. They don't get to vote uh, Cuba, right? Look at the talent that comes into the major leagues from Cuba. We play games in Cuba. Um, they don't allow people to vote. So, you know, what kind of Pandora's box are we opening? And, um, you know, let's go major league city by city. And I'm willing to bet that we can find a law on in, in the books on just about every city um, that in some way, shape or form disenfranchises a group of people. Are we now going to break down every law and, um, and, and, you know, make this kind of power move. I, I just think it's a poor decision. I think it's a tone deaf decision. And I think it's punishing people um, that had nothing to do or very little to do with, um, you know, I'm trying not to get political here. The, the, but the, the, the congressmen, the, the lawmakers that, that voted this law in um, were, were mostly Republican. That's just fact, right? that were voted in to the Georgia state legislatures from the suburbs, not from the city of Atlanta. The city of Atlanta does not vote in, in that way. It hasn't historically. So again, we're punishing the people uh, in the city of Atlanta for the decisions politicians made. And you can't even say, well, you know, the people of Atlanta voted those politicians into office because they didn't. So uh, it's just, um, it just smacks of, you know, either some kind of uh, conspiracy uh, or just extreme incompetence and tone deafness on the part of the commissioner. So uh, rant over. Yeah, real quick, Davis, before I go to you, I want to, I want to point out something. This is the one thing I thought of the other day and Lee, where you kind of, you made me think of it when you're talking about it, when it's just all tier motives and Manfred, first of all, Robbie Manfred, you suck, man. Like just, you suck. This is, this is awful. But then I want to look at it this way. The difference of the fan attendance in Colorado to Atlanta. Now, obviously we know Atlanta's the much better team. Those people want to go out to visit Atlanta, but Atlanta is a city with the higher population of these people who are wanting to stay home, not go out and do things. And that even includes an all-star baseball game. So when you look at it this way, as compared to Colorado, where that, livelihood is a lot more open 
you know, in terms of COVID than it is in a lot of other places. And a big part of me is also Rob Manfred looking at this like, man, I can make a good wallet off of you, but I can make an even better wallet off of them. Oh, here's a good reason. Goodbye. We're going to Colorado. But Davis, I want to hear what you think about that. Yeah, and absolutely. Like, and if Manfred has a chance to look like he's woke or, you know, looks like he's doing the right thing, he'll do it no matter if he believes it himself or not. So that's something you got to kind of take with a grain of salt there. But I think it's a lose-lose scenario and I, I do see both sides of it. The big thing for me is that it was to be played in, you know, Hank Aaron's city after his passing. It would have been a great honor to him and, um, you know, certainly would have been quite the event. But at the same time, Hank Aaron was, you know, big into um, – civil rights and, and that those kind of movements. So it's hard to say, you know, what he support or not. It's, it's it, he's passed away. You can't really make those judgments, but it's, that's a bummer for me. Cause he certainly would have been honored. He still will be in Colorado, but, and throughout this whole season, but uh, that would have been really cool. Um, it is brutal. I think for Atlanta, small businesses and the fans are the ones that are hurting the most because they had no impact on this. Like you were saying, I think the people that pass these laws should be punished if you believe that or not. But um you know, certainly the fans have nothing to do with why this is happening. And and the people of Atlanta that deserved it and were excited for this game, it's it's a bummer for them. Um, but like I said about Manfred, you know, he makes the move to Colorado. I think it's something he just kind of had to do. If he doesn't do it, he's going to look bad. Um, I saw a report that players and former players push for the move. I'm sure there's many other outside sources too. But if the players believed it, I'll always support the players because it's a player's league. You know, as fans, we love the game, but these are the guys that are out there every night. They're playing during a global pandemic. You know, if that's what they wanted, I'll support it. Um, I don't think it's a move that ultimately had to be made, but uh, if you don't do it, it's a bad look. And for me, if the players if the players want it, that's, I think, what's best. But as to the fans, it is very divisive. Um, there's old school fans. There's the Aubrey Huffs of the world that are just going to tear it up. And, it, and, and that's always going to be there as baseball changes and as the world changes. Um but if the players didn't want to, to force them to play there would be tough. I think, you know, we've seen in the NBA when things are going on, like making a statement or there's there's other ways they could have maybe gone about it, you know, do something that, you know, if you still play the game in Atlanta and you make some kind of statement that sort of embarrasses these people that pass the law while still allowing the jobs to um, be in Atlanta, the small businesses profit, all this, right? And you still get your point across. So I think there could have been, other ways to deal with it. I think the decision was made quickly by Manfred, maybe too quickly, like Justin, you were saying. Um, and I'm not sure if necessarily it was the right thing to do, but um, it's a move that I saw coming as soon as it happened. Um, we saw this, uh, the ACC did this back about three or four years ago. Uh, they moved their tournament from North Carolina to Brooklyn after uh, they passed some anti-LGBT bathroom laws that discriminated who could use bathrooms and whatnot. And they moved uh, to Brooklyn for a city uh, for just one year. And they came back to North Carolina the next year. And um, it was something that was very controversial, very similar to this on a smaller scale. Um, and it's very similar. They were, you know, divisive. It was a two-sided thing. And um, I think for baseball, I think the game is just changing. And I think the audience is changing too. And the future of the sport's always going to be up in the air. Um, I don't know. It's a tumultuous time. It's there's, I can really see both sides of it. So it's hard to get, too political about it but at the end of the day you know i hope the game in colorado goes well and the fans are always going to have baseball to lean on so um i don't know i think i think like i said i don't think manfred should be applauded for it certainly and i think it's something he just did to kind of look good and uh, but i hope the game goes well in colorado at the end of the day you know i, I want to go back real quick and into like you know who are we punishing here and you know one thing i find interesting so you know Theoretically, Rob Manfred did this to punish the state of Georgia for passing a voting law that some feel to be um, oppressive in nature. Um, whether whether you feel it is or not, that's that's irrelevant. But that's the reasoning. Um, however, uh, fun fact: Mr. Manfred uh, is a member of Augusta National Golf uh, Club in Augusta, Georgia. Right um, to to. To my knowledge, he has not rescinded that membership, which would be the right thing to do, right? If we're trying to make a statement, that would be the right thing to do, particularly 
um, belonging to a golf club that is steeped in racial inequities and racial bias. Um, they didn't admit their first African-American player or member until like maybe 1990 and the first woman in 2012. So it's, you know, it's, if we're going to stand on this uh, high moral ground, um, we have to be complete with it. Um, and, you know, it's easy to hold a corporation and the fans of that corporation hostage without holding yourself accountable. So um, that's, you know, that's one thing that um, that really rubs me the wrong way about this is, is that if we, if we really feel this, if he really feels this way, and if he does, um, you know, I, I, I get it. I understand because like, uh, like Davis, I see both sides of the issue, but we have to be complete. Um, and, you know, uh, when you, when you're going to hold yourself, you're going to hold your organization in, to a higher uh, moral ground, you need to hold yourself to that same higher ground. And, and it doesn't appear Mr. Manfred has done that. Yeah, that's actually a really good point you brought up, Lee. Where that that's something interesting to think about. Um, you know, on this side we hear all about double standards, you know, but when it's him, of course, doesn't. But we can go on all day long about Rob Manfred and how much he sucks and these poor, you know, fans and businesses in Atlanta. But again, what's done is done, though. You know, us sitting here is not going to change that. We can talk about all we want, but we do believe that it is unfortunate. We hope that seeing this, um changes things also you know i hope this isn't just something that disappears after the all-star game you know this is something that needs to be looked into afterward see the reason why rob manfred feels so strongly that this quickly you know move something that's been in place for what they choose these three four years ahead of time but like i said before we go all day we are gonna end the show here i have a finally we're gonna get in today in baseball history where it's stuff happening during a season Actually, so this first one here, it's a pretty cool one in 1993 is Bo Jackson. This is actually like the inspiration for his Bo New Nike ad campaign. So I'm sure, Leroy, I'm sure you remember all Bo Jackson. I know me and Davis, big fans of his as, as sports fans because he is the ultimate athlete. But this is his first game back after his hip surgery, which he hurt on a run with the uh, back when he was with the Raiders. Hits a home run on opening day to, cap to begin his 1993 comeback player of the year season. This is pretty cool you know, time there. Bo Jackson was an awesome guy. You always think of that image of him running up the outfield wall to make that catch. So, you know, that one was pretty cool. But go real quick, you two, any last thoughts before uh, we walk off here? Thanks for the Bo Jackson shout out. I used to have some uh, Bo Nose uh, t-shirts, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. <laughs> okay, well, we thank you all for listening. Uh, like we said, we'll be here next time for some more you know, in-season analysis and updates. So do not forget to uh, follow us. Check us out on the web. We're on Facebook. We're on Spotify. We're on Twitter. We want to make sure you check that all out. But unfortunately, for now, it is time to walk it off.